Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. We've been doing a lot of projects around the house the last couple of days. This is the time of year in Maine that we do indoor projects because, well, it sucks outside. Outside bad. But uh, you were a little annoyed at me the other day because you asked me if I would bring you something while you were working on a particular project, and uh, you thought I was ignoring you. Mm-hmm. As it, you often do. Well, no, that's not that's not fair. I mean, you think I do. I really don't. It's just that I'm not sure you're talking to me, even though we're the only two humans in the house. Because oftentimes you you talk to inanimate objects. I don't. I mean, oftentimes you do. I and, talk to the the echo, um, but she talks back. So you were engaged in an argument with the dryer last night because you called the dryer a liar because you didn't liar dryer when <laughs> when the dryer beeped that the clothes were dry. You didn't believe the dryer. No. And, and for, I mean, that's true. I did not believe the dryer. And you just yelled, liar, from the other room. And mm-hmm. I've learned to kind of block that out so I don't take it personally. <laughs> Unfortunately, when you are talking to me, I think you're arguing with a household appliance. <laughs> sorry. And, and <laughs> sorry to make your life so confusing. <laughs> My life's <volatile>. confusing. <laughs> My life is confusing anyway, mm. uh, but boy, that adds a whole different layer to it. <laughs> I can't wait till we start decorating the Christmas tree. I can't imagine the arguments you'll have with that. Oh, shush. You've also pointed out on numerous occasions how I'm very polite to inanimate objects. But yes, you are. That's uh, you something really that you try to make me feel badly about. No, I think it's it's that's delightful. <laughs> that really Except for is. when I call them liars. <laughs> well, it's a little aggressive. <laughs> I think. I mean, just dry my clothes. That's yeah, really? Don't argue with me. Ah, uh, dryer. Now, you told me to uh, prepare myself yeah, yeah. for this. Now, does that mean that it's sad? Is it upsetting? Ooh, Is it What's going on? It's all of those things. Oh, okay. It's all of those things. Okay. This, does it deserve a trigger warning, it, do you this think? This absolutely okay. deserves 
a trigger warning. This is so frigging sad that, frankly, I don't know how I'm going to end it. Oh, okay. You know, okay. Because we're just going to see how it's just it goes. Cra- this is just going to crash into the ground, and they'll probably it will all be charred remains. This sounds by the it end. Sounds great. Of I'm this excited. story, did I sell this enough? <laughs> Oh my God. Let me tell you. Yeah. Can't wait. One phrase I think that we've heard, all of us have heard all year long, and actually more than that. But Dumpster re- fire? Well, that too. Yeah. Um, but, but this phrase kept being used more and more and more and more and more uh, the closer we got to the U.S. presidential election. I didn't have killer hornets on my bingo sheet? No. Oh, okay. The phrase, they're really drinking the Kool-Aid. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm not pointing at any one political group because all the political groups have said that about the opposing politics. Yeah. I asked somebody who I overheard saying that uh, just the other day, where did that phrase come from? They had no idea Uh where that phrase came from. Oh, okay. I would assume it came from the Jonestown massacre. That's exactly where it comes from. Okay. And the surviving members of the Jonestown cult, the ones that managed to get away, don't care for that. I wouldn't imagine, no. They think that when people say, oh, they're really drinking the Kool-Aid, it's like they're making fun of what happened. This is how they interpret it. That's That's a really great point. And I mean, that's a serious thing, and it affected them very, very personally. So I imagine, yeah, it would seem kind of insulting. To to them. What happened? What happened? We're going to explore some lesser known facts about the Jonestown Massacre. Okay. And in particular, Jim Jones, James Warren Jones. What kind of power did he have over his followers? Let's talk a little bit about what he was and what he did. According to uh, Wikipedia, Jim Jones was an American cult leader, preacher, and self-professed faith healer. He launched the People's Temple in Indiana during the 1950s. Jones and his inner circle orchestrated a mass murder-slash-suicide of himself and his followers in the jungle commune of Jonestown, Guyana, on November 18th, 1978. I didn't realize that it had started that early. Yes, That he started culting in the 50s. He started culting. Wow. Reverend Jones was ordained in 1957 by the Independent Assemblies of God and in 1964 by the Disciples of Christ. He moved his congregation to California in 1965. He gained notoriety with its activities in San Francisco in the 1970s. He then left the United States, taking many members to a Guyana jungle commune called Jonestown. In 1978, media reports surfaced of human rights abuses in People's Temple in Jonestown. U.S. Representative Leo Ryan, Congressman Ryan, led a delegation to the commune to investigate. While boarding a return flight from the uh, from Jonestown with some former cult members who had uh, wished to leave, Ryan and four others were murdered by gunfire on the airstrip. Now, these people that left were so afraid for their lives that they they had to they slipped notes to the uh, congressman and his uh, aides 
while he was being shown around the commune. Oh, I see. Because they put on this big show for him. Of course. Uh, in fact, they didn't want him to come for obvious reasons, but uh, Jones acquiesced after a while. But they tried to put on this big show. And while he, they were there, notes were slipped to the congressman and his, uh, and his team of aides, get us out. So he did. He got them out. But then they were all murdered on the airstrip. Wow. And was this when they were still in Guyana? Or? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Jones then ordered and coerced into a mass suicide and or mass murder of 918 commune members. Wow. 304 of them were children. Oh, geez. Almost all by cyanide, poisoned, flavor aid, not Kool-Aid. Oh, interesting. Flavor aid. This is how big a dick this guy was. He wouldn't even spring for the good stuff. He bought the cheaper flavor aid. I do not find your attempts at humor. About I'm just trying this to find something amusing. here to hang on to, like a life preserver. Oh God, this is awful. It is. What kind of power mm. did this guy have over his followers? Well, Ranker had a an article that was really quite eye opening. These are some of the things that he used to brainwash his followers. Okay. He would physically isolate them. From their families, mm -hmm. which was one of the main reasons he wanted to get them into the jungle sure. because it was another, it was just completely cutting people off yeah. from, from their families and or any outside sources that would contradict anything that he would say. I mean, that's very typical manipulative narcissist type behavior anyway. He even went as far as to create a false war zone. Again, according to uh, to Ranker, Jones made followers believe that the military was after them. He told them that the American soldiers were all waiting in the jungle outside the, uh, the, the encampment, the commune, and would kill anybody who ventured too far away oh, from the compound. One former cult member told the Atlantic, quote, we didn't know this at the time, but he'd set up people who would shoot into the jungle to make us feel as though we were under attack. And there were other people who were there set up to run and get shot with rubber bullets, though we didn't know it at the time. Wow. So there we were in the middle of the jungle, shots being fired and people surrounding you with guns. This is the kind of control that he had over his followers. Yeah, they were under psychological attack. If anybody doubted him, he tortured them with drugs and live snakes. He would put them in what they, what they called the box, which was essentially a coffin. He would bury them oh my gosh. for periods of time as a punishment. One of the most effective methods that he used to get people to do what he wanted, to gain control over people and their thoughts, mm -hmm. was he subjected them to public humiliation. Mm. To break specific members of his group down, he would force them to undergo criticism in front of the rest of the congregation. He would make the followers get up in front of the uh, congregation, strip, and then he encouraged all the other members of the cult to publicly berate them at length. Oh, my gosh. Calling them names, pointing out uh, physical things that may cause them insecurity. Former Temple member Elmer Myrtle said that this uh, technique was called catharsis and that each catharsis would end with Jones telling the person who was being punished that what had just happened was a good thing. Mm. He said, quote, the first forms of punishment in the temple were mental, where they would get up and totally disgrace and humiliate the person in front of the whole congregation. 
Jim would then come over and put his arm around the person and say, I realize that what you went through was a lot, but it was for the cause. Father loves you and you're a stronger person now. I can trust you more now that you've gone through and accepted this discipline. Wow. He would deprive his members of sleep. He broke families apart. He pitted family members against each other. He blackmailed his followers. He forced members to sign blank power of attorney forms. Oh my gosh. As well as false confessions that they had molested their own children or conspired to overthrow the U.S. government while members of the People's Temple. Once, he reportedly even had a member of the temple put her fingerprints all over a gun and then threatened to frame her for murder if she left the cult. Wow. That's not even subtle, guy. That's uh, yeah. that's pretty upfront. He generated paranoia. He made people think that the um, anybody who wasn't part of their group mm-hmm. was out to get them. He convinced his followers that he had psychic abilities and that he could read their thoughts over time. He convinced people that he was God. Yeah. In one of his sermons, he said, if you see me as your friend, I'll be your friend. If you see me as your father, I'll be your father. If you see me as your God, I will be your God. He gained more followers to more easily control his original recruits. The perception of power was the key to power itself for him. He understood that and constantly brought new members into the People's Temple who hadn't yet questioned his control. The more members that he was able to bring in, the more power he had, which made him Uh, more attractive to people outside the cult, beginning the cycle again. Of course. He made powerful friends. Before moving his cult to uh, South America, Jones became an influential figure in the city of San Francisco, as I mentioned before. In 1976, Willie Brown, Speaker of the California State Assembly, compared Jones to Martin Luther King, Angela Davis, Albert Einstein, and Chairman Mao, high-ranking members of Jimmy Carter's inner circle, were known to meet with him. And Mayor George Moscone appointed Jones to San Francisco's Housing Commission. Come to find out, Jones had uh, helped a lot of these people get elected. He got his followers to vote for them and got his followers also to threaten to push around, rough up, and physically abuse other people that would not vote for these candidates. So he put people in positions of power that would just do whatever he wanted to do. Jones was also heavily heavily influenced by history's most notorious dictators. He spent a lot of time studying the works of Joseph Stalin, Karl Marx, Chairman Mao, and Adolf Hitler. And according to a PBS special, he was obsessed with religion. He was obsessed with death. He would study how these authoritative dictators would control people, and then he adapted it into his religion. Right, because the most important thing is that he could control people. It wasn't necessarily about the religion part, Mm. just that was an easy way to control and manipulate. Exactly. Wow. In December of 1973, he was arrested for lewd conduct at a Los Angeles movie theater, and apparently it was an act involving another man. Mm -hmm. Now, he said that that was a setup, that that really didn't happen that this was just stuff that the media made up, that it was, you know, although there was an arrest record and everything. But it was a fact that Jones did engage in sexual relations with some of his female and and male followers, but he didn't want that to get out, especially the part about him getting involved with other men. Mm -hmm. So what he said, Jim said, quote, 
This is according to Joyce Houston, an ex-Temple follower. Quote, All of us were homosexuals. Everyone except him. He was the least homosexual in the world. He was the only real heterosexual on the planet. And that women were all lesbians. The guys were all gay. So anyone who showed an interest in sex was just compensating. Um, okay. So he had this incredible control. Yeah. Over his um, followers. There they are in the jungle. A congressman and a uh, fact-finding committee come to find out what's going on. Mm -hmm. They find out some weird shit's going on there. They try to smuggle or try to bring back some of the cult followers that don't want to stay there. They're all assassinated on the airstrip in the jungle. So Jim calls what he, he would call a white knight, a white knight code. He would just occasionally yell white knight over the speakers, the intercoms. What, what does white knight mean? They all gathered in the assembly area and would go through, quote, loyalty tests. Oh. Where he'd bring a vat of Kool-Aid out or flavor aid mm -hmm. and tell everybody that if they trust him, they will drink that and that it had cyanide in it. And people would. And so this time he does it for real. And he records it. Do you want to hear some of it? No, I don't think so. Here we go. One of those people on that plane is going to shoot the pilot. I know that. I didn't plan it, but I know it's going to happen. They're going to shoot that pilot, and down comes that plane into the jungle. And we had better not have any of our children left when it's over, because they'll parachute in here on us. I'm telling you, just as plain as I know how to tell you, I've never lied to you. I never have lied to you. It was many, many pressures on my brain seeing all these people behave so treasonous. It was just too much for me to put together, but uh, uh, I now know what he was telling me, and it'll happen. So my opinion is that we be kind to children and be kind to seniors and take the portion like they used to take in ancient Greece and step over quietly. Take the potion like they used to take in ancient Greece. Now... Not everybody followed him blindly. Sure. Um, some people wanted to leave. No, you're not going. You're not going. You're not going. I can't live that way. I cannot live that way. I've lived with for all and I'll die for all. Yeah. Guy says, I want to go, and everybody shouts him down. Wow. And then Jim Jones says, you know, he's going he's gonna to die. He'd rather die. And everybody cheers. One woman, Christine Miller, tried to talk him out of it. Well, I said, let's make an airlift to Russia. That's what I say. I don't think nothing is impossible. Well, how are we going to believe it? How are you going to airlift to Russia? Well, I thought he, they said if we got in an emergency, they gave you a code to let them know. No, they did. They gave us the code that they'd let us know of an issue, not us create an issue for them. They said if, we, if they saw the country coming down, they'd create, they'd give us the code. They'd give us the code. You can check on there and see if it's on the code. You can check with Russia to see if they'll take us in immediately, otherwise we die. I don't know what else you say to these people. But to me, death is, not, and death is not a fearful thing. It's living this treachery. 
So he had told them that if ever they got in trouble mm-hmm. with the U.S. government, that Russia had set up a secret signal that they would give him that would allow them to airlift to Russia. So mm-hmm. she says, well, what about Russia? Can't we go to Russia? And he just gave this babbling, you know. No, no. Mm. They have the code. Not we have the code. And and then she continued to try to talk him out of it. No, you, Christine, it's, just not, it's not worth living like this. What's living like this? I think that there were too few who left for 1,200 people to give them their lives for those people that left. You know how many left? Ooh, 20 odd. That's, that's a small 20 odd. Com- 20 com- odd. Com- yeah. 20 odd. But what's going to happen when they don't leave? You mean the people here? Yeah, what's going to happen to us when they don't leave, when they get on the plane and the plane goes down? I don't think it'll go down. You don't think it'll go down? I, I wish I could tell you you were right, but I'm right. Well, I don't see it like that. I mean, I feel like that as long as there's life, there's hope. That's my faith. Well, some everybody dies. <laughs> Someplace that hope runs out because everybody dies. That's wow. right. Everybody dies. Then he starts calling for the poison. The vat, the vat. Where's the vat with the green tea? The vat with the green tea in, please. Bring it here so the adults can begin. Please, please, for God's sakes, let's get on with it. We've lived, we've lived as no other people have lived and loved. We've had as much of this world as you're going to get. Let's just be done with it. Let's be done with the agony of it. So there are people that are clapping yeah. that they're going to yeah. end it all. Right. And cheering each other on yeah. because of the brainwashing yeah. that and this you, guy has done. You can tell. I mean, the way that that he's speaking is as though he's the only one that tells the truth to them. Right. You know, like, and, and that woman had a great point. Like, I don't think that plane's going to go down. And he's like, no, it will. Yeah. Like, what? Because I'm right. There's yeah. no proof. There's yeah. nothing that says, I mean, the only thing that they have to go on is that he just said it. Right. He just said it. And don't believe your own eyes. And then he starts really pushing them. Lay down your life with dignity. Don't lay down with tears and agony. Don't be this way. Stop this hysteric. Children, it's just something to put you to rest. Oh, God. Keep your emotions down. Keep your emotions down. Children, it will not hurt if you'll be, if you'll be quiet. If you'll be quiet. Quickly, quickly, quickly. Now stop this nonsense. Don't carry this on anymore. You're exciting your children. And then the tape just runs for like about another hour with this in the background until the batteries run out. I don't like this. It's not a good thing. No. It's not a good thing. So how many people didn't end up dying at that time? I don't know an official number, but a lot of people did. Some were on errands that uh, Jones had sent them on prior to this, because this was just like a spur of the moment thing. Right. He heard that you know they were all shot dead, and he knew that repercussion was coming, mm-hmm. and he wanted to move quickly. These people who were fortunate enough to be on an air, one person, I guess a couple of people, were delivering a suitcase of money to the Russian embassy. I don't know. He was in cahoots with Russia. Um, it, so, wow. It's 
So basically, he wanted he was he knew he was going to get found out, mm-hmm. uh, and he was a coward. Right, and so, he was also on drugs. Oh, he was all hopped up on amphetamines and had been for about thirty years. Oh, okay, okay, so, which probably that and the fact that he had a, a a really broken childhood lent itself to him becoming this monster. Yeah, he just he was. Well, he's obviously some like personality disorder, narcissist kind of situation. Right. Right. Um, you know, obviously, if you're if you're rolling around telling people that you you're their god and you know you rock and all that business, then you have something. He went as far as to, to when he tried to get them all to go to Guyana originally. He said that what was happening again, primarily his congregation was African American. Mm-hmm. He told them that. They had to go with him to Guyana because the United States was, in his words, hurting up black Americans and putting them in concentration camps. And he alone was the only one that could save them. Oh, my gosh. One of the most remarkable stories of survival (laughs) belongs to Hyacinth Thrash. What a wonderful name. Gorgeous name. An elderly African-American woman who slept inside her cabin throughout the whole ordeal. She woke up the following morning and walked out (gasps) to a senior citizen's building where she saw bodies covered in sheets. Her sister, Zipporah Edwards, was among the dead. She wrote a memoir. It was called The Onlyest One Alive, published in 1985. Thrash recalled, There were all these dead beings put in bags, people I'd known and loved. God knows, I never wanted to be there in the first place. I never wanted to go to Guyana to die. I didn't think Jim would do a thing like that. He let us down. Yeah, I guess the hell he did. Ah, yeah. That is so upsetting. And it's interesting how he uses... Uh, fear and don't be fearful and don't don't go out like this. Don't go out crying and thrashing and all that business. Mm. But really, it was him who was fearful, and his cowardice is what caused him to do all this. 918 commune members were either killed or died by suicide that day in November. Jim Jones did not drink the Kool-Aid. Oh, he was found with a gunshot wound. Oh, no. And it is still, even though it's thought probably it was suicide, mm-hmm. there's some question. Somebody might have offed him. Oh, wow. And he had got into several arguments with some of his senior staff members, including his public relations guy, about pulling this last minute stunt. Mm-hmm. But he knew he was on the way out. And he just needed to burn the place down. Wow. So. That is a terrible and very upsetting story. Yeah. So I thought maybe we could bring the dogs in here. Oh, yeah. Okay. Here. Haggis, this is your first time on the podcast. He's just going to bump his head against it and wag his tail. Can always count on banjo to provide snortles, though. Anyway, Jim Jones was a bad man. Very. A very bad man. And now, that thing in the middle. Found this list on Mashable, 14 weirdest video games ever created. Number five, Atari 2600's Sneak and Peek. (laughs) It was like a hide-and-seek kind of game, except there was really no place to hide, and you didn't know how... To find the person who was hiding, be- uh, 
It was yeah. just running around frantic uh, with your dot until you might come across that other dot. It's like uh, playing an 8-bit Peeping Tom game. <laughs> Number four from Sega Genesis, Michael Jackson's Moonwalker, based on his music video collection and short film Moonwalker. The video game really had two objectives. Number one, saving little kids hiding in closets. And number two, fighting criminals with your smooth dance skills. Oof. There's a, there's a hole yeah. under. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Number three, Dreamcast, Samba de Amigo. It was like a weird, peppy, upbeat, hallucinogenic drug session. <laughs> Lots of flicking around and maracas and upbeat music. and. So it's like... Carlos Castaneda, the video game. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> Number two, Xbox 360, Space Giraffe. According <laughs> to its creator, Space Giraffe is supposed to be inspired by popular, by popular Atari tube shooter Tempest. With a bunch of random colors, high contrast, and shifting gameplay, you've got to concentrate hard to make any sense of the situation. There's pulsing lights, raving music an occasional mooing sound. In other words, just the gift for an epileptic loved one. <laughs> and number one on Xbox, Playboy, The Mansion. It's kind of like a roller coaster tycoon or zoo tycoon um, with Playboy. Um, so you have to build the Playboy Mansion. Uh -huh. There's a very young Hugh Hefner, and it is upsetting and weird. Thanks to Mashable for that very weird list. The only podcast that has a mad crush on both Rob Lowe and Taylor Swift. I mean, they are both so cute. This is The Box of Oddities. When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. But what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Rawl lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two Colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened in his vest pocket. As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at constantpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you interested in the parts of history that remain a mystery? Do you want to learn more about the historical myths and misconceptions used to prop up false belief today? I'm Nathaniel Lloyd. In my podcast, Historical Blindness, I delve into all of these topics, sharing puzzling tales from the past and examining hoaxes, conspiracy theories, and misremembered events that provide insight into modern politics and religion. Find out what's real and what's not when it comes to famous conspiracy theories, like those surrounding notorious assassinations and secret societies. Discover the weak and deceptive underpinnings of modern political ideologies and religious beliefs. Join me as I attempt to shed some light on our historical blind spots. New episodes every two weeks. Find historical blindness on most podcast players and platforms. Support for The Box of Oddities is provided in part by listeners like you on Patreon.
You can support us too. Go to patreon.com slash box of oddities. Thank you. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. Get an email from Emily. Hi, freak friends. So I have to tell you, yesterday was my dad's birthday. So me and the six siblings rallied together and made my mom cook for us and our 10 children to celebrate. Now, I made many social mistakes, but here's the biggest one. Me. Scooter, I have a tidbit for you. Dad, let's hear it. Me. Worms only have one hole, so they eat and shit out of the same hole. Everyone stops preparing their plates at the table and stares at me. My eight-year-old nephew says, well, duh, everyone knows that. And that's how I turned into the village idiot. Thank you all for the entertainment while I embrace my darling children all day. I need you. We're here to help those awkward family situations just fly by with the greatest of ease. Thanks, Emily. All right, Lady Cakes, what you got for moi, as our neighbors in France say. Speaking of France, in the late 1700s, a French surgeon was forced at gunpoint to amputate a man's healthy limb. Wait, your story is about France, and I said France. Yeah. Box of oddities effect? Yeah, it's a yeah. weak one. Yeah. yeah. It's not really about France. I mean, it just I started just out that way. Okay. France. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. It's fine. I'll hush my doodle hole. After the surgery, the man sent the surgeon payment and a letter of gratitude claiming that the surgery made him feel much better. You, he wrote, made me the happiest of all men by taking away from me a limb. What was wrong with the limb? I, nothing. I just said it was healthy. But you were, you were busy focused on the France thing. Oh, <laughs> it was healthy. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's a big part to miss. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. God. So, yes, France, mm-hmm. but also healthy limb. Okay. And he, the surgeon was at gunpoint. Oh, okay. All right. So Do, should I start again? That changes the whole thing. Uh, so, I have read about this being like a kink it's not a kink there there is a kink but that's not what but we're that's talking not what about. we're talking about we're talking about body identity dysphoria hmm. or body integrity identity disorder interesting people with BIDD I'm sorry BIID complain of feeling overcomplete and alienated from a body part like an eye or a limb and the feeling is lifelong. It results in a lot of suffering and trauma. And people with BID or BIID appear to start to wish for amputation when they are very young, between the ages of 8 and 12 years. Do they feel the way that maybe some people feel if they're born with like an extra limb or like it's just not part of them or it should not I, be part of them? I would or? imagine, yeah. They, they feel like it is not supposed to be there, that it's not part of who they are, yeah, that, that like, it is a foreign thing that they are saddled with, mm. even though that's not what they are, who they are, or what they're supposed to look like or have as part of their body. Fascinating. Yeah. Most people, though, do not talk about this with others because it is not a common thing. And um, and the majority of those, and the numbers are few, but the majority of those who do seek um, treatment for this are, are much older because they've just spent their whole lives feeling dysphoric and out of 
the sorts and not that they are like they are in a body that is not supposed to be theirs. Wow. According to one patient, every minute of my life, I feel like something is wrong, Um, but it doesn't impair uh, the person's ability to relate with other people. They're completely in touch with reality. Mm. They're they're perfectly normal people who have this dysphoria where they do not believe that either that eye or that limb is supposed to be a part of their body. That must be just nightmarish because, you know, you feel this way. At the same time, you understand that you shouldn't feel this way. So you don't, you can't share it with other people. You have to kind of just live with it. Yeah. Unless you have a gun and a surgeon nearby. There is so much that's not known about BIID, but here's some of what has been compiled. People with BID seem to be predominantly male. There appears to be a weak correlation with certain personality disorders. And it's hard to know much more about this disorder because there are so few cases and because much of what is known about BIID is based on anecdotal accounts. Uh, because there's no, there, the numbers aren't enough to compile data, it's just well, in my situation, this is how it affects me. Or in my situation, I also have this. So it's really hard to get any solid data. I can imagine. Researchers who suspect that the condition may be related to other body image disorders, including anorexia, body dysmorphic disorder, and gender identity disorder, uh, found that some people with BID are more likely to want removal of a left limb than a right. Huh. Which is consistent with issues to the right parietal lobe. In addition to this, skin conductance response is significantly different above and below the line of desired amputation. So they feel things differently on that limb. What? Or, yeah. Oh, that's, that is fascinating. The human brain is something else. Now, the line of desired amputation, so let's say um, someone sees themselves as being complete except for below their left knee. Mm -hmm. That is consistent throughout their life. It doesn't vary. It's not, okay, well, sometimes it might be above the left knee or sometimes it's just the foot. When they develop this disorder, when they develop the understanding of what they're feeling, it starts and ends at the same spot. They, that is it doesn't a, change. That is incredibly fascinating. I wonder if people that suffer with this, in like in this guy's case, actually have the limb removed, afterwards have uh, phantom limb syndrome. That would be cruel. It would be, wouldn't it? There doesn't appear to be any strong correlation with the side of the limb or limbs that the person wishes that they didn't have connected to any past trauma or anything like that. There doesn't seem to be any reason why that particular limb would be selected by the brain as the the wrong limb or the unwanted limb or the foreign alien limb. Neurologists for the Center for Brain and Cognition at the University of California, San Diego, who have studied phantom limb syndrome, as well as stroke victims and other disorders have recently started really looking at BIID. And they've only been able to conduct three brain scans uh, at, at the time of this article. But they did find some variation in the right parietal lobe, uh, the area of the brain responsible for creating a map 
of the image of one's body or how your body exists in space. Um, it's interesting to me because I just punched the microphone, which is funny because of what I'm going to say right now. Um, <laughs> I am someone who has no understanding of how much space I take up. Right. I am constantly bumping into things. I stub myself constantly. I'm constantly like banging myself into things. Sure. I don't have a great understanding of the space that I take up. There's something broken in my parietal lobe. You think so? I don't know. Does, it doesn't is, make a lot of sense otherwise. How many bruises am I constantly covered in because I bump into the corners of tables? I smash into, like, I will open the refrigerator door and hit myself with it. Usually after you're arguing with it. <laughs> well, it's a dick. My frigidaire is a dick. <laughs> Then there are those like Dr. Ray Blanchard, who's a member of the DSM work group. And this group is the group that decides which disorders are included in the DSM manual, which this is not. Um, this guy, Blanchard, is also a professor at the University of Toronto, and he suggests that if amputee identification stemmed from the brain, that we might see other symptoms beyond just the desire to amputate. So he thinks that it should be difficult to use the leg or that there would be signs of neglect in the leg because the, the brain doesn't you know, want it or, mm. or believe that it's part of its body. And positions like that are making it very difficult for those with BIID. Sufferers are trying to get official recognition in the DSM, which could open the door for more research. And research equals funding. And that's important for a lot of reasons. But also, the urge to write oneself is sometimes overwhelming. I read about several instances where it has become dangerous. So in 2001... John, not his real name, was officially diagnosed with the condition by a professor at Columbia University. Uh, he's actually a leading researcher in BIID, but he had long suspected that this was what was going on with him. He pictured himself as being complete, but with the addition of his left leg below the knee. Okay. He had always seen himself as being an amputee. It was how his brain understood his body to be right. So in 2005, he froze his foot in dry ice. He spent about 10 oh hours God. freezing his foot to be sure that there was no chance of it being saved. And then he got himself to a hospital. Holy crap. He did research on the process and things to look out for. He said, I'd done a lot of homework in preparation and putting the plan into motion, I felt more like it was a case of just ticking all the boxes in order. Oh, my God. I have to do this and then the next thing and then the next. And then I just sit and I wait for 10 hours. And he obviously felt pain, right? But it was worth it. That is fascinating. Yeah. Uh, Josh, again, not his real name, once put his left hand underneath a truck trying to crush it, but the jack didn't collapse right. And he said that he would drive around with his hand dangling out the window, hoping to get sideswiped. Huh. Eventually, after practicing on animal legs he got from the butcher, he removed his hand with a knife. No. Oh, my God. My sphincter just went... Yeah. Like that. That amputation, he said, finally ended a torment that had plagued him since middle school. He told Newsweek, it is a tremendous relief. That is unbelievable. There's a documentary 
by Melody Gilbert from 2004. It's called Hole. And it talks of a patient who blew his leg off with a shotgun. Uh, In one case, a man traveled to Mexico and paid $10,000 for an illegal amputation only to die of gangrene. Wow. Surgeons who perform voluntary amputations are understandably underground. Alex, a 60-year-old BIID sufferer, learned of a surgeon willing to amputate his leg and jumped on it. He flew to Asia and paid $10,000 to have that limb removed. The only regret, he said, is that he wasn't able to do it 30 years earlier. Now, in January of the year 2000, Dr. Robert Smith, a surgeon at Scotland's Falkirk District Royal Infirmary. Is that his real name? Robert Smith? Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Um, Well, he had the cure for this guy. I see what you're doing. See what I did there? Yeah. Um, yeah. He had amputated the legs of two patients with BIID. Um, The patients felt incredibly relieved after it was done. They felt better. It. They reported it to be like a weight was lifted. They were finally able to be as they should be and re- it reported an incredible improvement in their quality of life. How about that? But Dr. Smith was punished, obviously. There, there was great dismay in his field because you cannot just cut off people's legs when there's nothing wrong with them. The public outcry must have been swift. It was. And Dr. Smith argued that by preventing his patients from pursuing more life-threatening alternatives, which they were bound to do because Mm. this feeling is so overwhelming, he was following the Hippocratic Oath to do no harm. He was doing the right thing by making sure that they were doing this in a safe and healthy and monitored manner. So he didn't get arrested or anything. Oh, he did. He wasn't convicted, though. He was um, relieved of his duties at mm. the hospital. Good Lord. The operations were carried out in September of 1997 and April of 1999. Both men had been before turned away from other doctors. So he was being compassionate. And Dr. Smith accepted no fee for the operations. Mm. That makes it even more compassionate. I don't see anything about any sort of punishment, but he has been banned from carrying out further procedures on people suffering from this disorder. Mm. Which is unfortunate because he had six other patients who were he was currently talking with who were hoping to have something removed of theirs. And he was doing all this for no money. That's right. So this was not like a profitable thing for him. That's right. The The hospitals had to be paid mm. the, the money that the surgery itself cost, but the doctor himself took no money for these procedures. I understand. And I guess... Eh, as long as, I mean, in my opinion, like if it's your body and you are willing to pay the price to have your leg removed, I don't see why it should be up to anybody else to say no. I mean, I get why your insurance might not cover it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a tough one to get them to write off. Yeah. yeah. Your copay is 100%. There are several really incredible articles about personal experiences with this disorder that um, I read, and I definitely want to watch this documentary because it it seems really incredible. Most of this information came from the National Center for Biotechnology, VeryWell.com, of course, Wikipedia, and NewScientist.com. I am looking it up right now. 
we're watching that. That's just fascinating. Yes, please. Did want to mention to you guys, this is one of the cool things that uh, one of the benefits that uh, you get when you support us on Patreon. Every month, 10% of all the support that is received at our Patreon page goes to a different charity every month. And as a member of the Order of Freaks, we uh, we put up a poll. You decide out of four different um, charitable causes which one gets the money every month. And we just did our first one. Uh, we just put it up last week. And we're going to do that every month. But you've still got time. If you want to vote this month, you absolutely can. We've got four options. You've got to vote for your favorite. And I'm really excited to see who our donation is going to be going to this month. You can become a member of Patreon, a member of the Order of Freaks, by going to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash box of oddities, or our website, theboxofoddities.com. We just love you so much, and it's so incredible to see the support come in, and I love how enthusiastically the votes have been coming in, oh, yeah, and I'm, I'm yeah. glad that we can do. I mean, it's not a ton of, of money, but it's something that sure. we can do and do it together, which right. is great. And the uh, more the Patreon page grows, the more the uh, amounts donated will grow as well, too. That's right as well too we'll see you next time until then keep flying that freak flag fly it proudly you beautiful freak and so let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you and its fate is in your hands the box of oddities commits to the telling of stories stories of the strange the bizarre the unexpected we wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash BoxOfOdditiesPodcast On Twitter at BoxOfOddities And Instagram at BoxOfOdditiesPodcast Copyright 2020 All Rights Reserved <laughs>